Today our patronal feast, St. Joseph the Worker, is a time to reflect upon, as I said in the introduction to the Mass, a time to reflect upon the dignity that God uh, has given to work. You know, we've got the kind of traditional division between white collar and blue collar, and sometimes the dividing line between those two is gets a little blurry maybe, but uh, generally speaking, we got the, the white collar, they work with their minds, okay, and the blue collar work with their bodies, that's the general idea. And uh, what we see here, I think, in our first reading, it's it's interesting because the church has chosen to, to choose Genesis chapter 1 when speaking about work as opposed to Genesis chapter 2. Okay, these are two different things going on because in one, work is seen in its original pristine intention, divine intention. God's intention for work was that it would be actually a reflection of his own creative power and of his own authority. So just the fact that uh, mankind can uh, use their hands to build a house or to plow a field uh, and to fit, create physical things to structure society and create the fabric within which we all subsist. That is a means of exercising, you know, this is what the Genesis chapter 1 is talking about when God says, uh, have dominion over the earth. It's a means of exercising dominion over the earth. And when we're involved in that kind of bodily, physical activity, creating the actual structures, you know, we've got the street out here, we've got a building, you know, we've got to get the, the heat and the lights working, and just the kind of the physical material substratum of our world, this is a way of actually imaging forth God in the world. It's a way of actually imitating God. Because God is the creator of the universe, and He has formed and structured everything that is. So when we when we do that on our own little kind of uh, smaller scale, we're imaging God. We're realizing what it means to be made in the image of God. And it's interesting that we that the lectionary chooses Genesis chapter one because in Genesis chapter two, work is seen in a more negative light. Because after the introduction of original sin into the world, God says to Adam, By the sweat of your brow you will labor and bring forth your bread, and uh, the earth that you work will yield thorns and thistles. So there's a kind of a a curse that's placed on work uh, because of original sin. But it's very interesting that when God decided to become man... He was born into a working class family. Now, of course, they had a kind of a noble lineage. Okay, they had a blood lineage that was of nobility, the Davidic king kingship. But practically speaking, they were they were of the working class, Joseph and Mary and their respective families. And God chose to become incarnate in that kind of blue collar, so to speak, working class, not not the white collar. Class, the blue collar class. It's, it's very interesting. So, what we see in Jesus, who's following Saint Joseph the carpenter, he himself is a carpenter. We see the redemption of work. We see this 
curse that was placed upon work in Genesis chapter 2 being restored and refurbished and kind of, you know, had lots of dirt on it because of sin. And so through Jesus, there's this kind of, the dirt is wiped off and the original beauty of work is revealed. And that's why we, we're looking at Genesis chapter 1 because there's a restoration of that original dignity. And, uh, you know, I, I think of reflecting my own, I do, you guys probably know I'm into genealogy stuff, you know, so as I reflect on my own genealogy, and probably this is the case for most of us, is we come from Catholic immigrants who came from Europe because they needed to find work, and they came here and they worked. My, on my father's side, my, I had one great-grandfather who was a gardener, and then he worked in Gould's Pumps. And then another great-grandfather on my father's side uh, was a bricklayer. And then my grandfather on my father's side was, uh, was a kind of a working-class man as well. He was a, um, he was a church, he cleaned churches in Seneca Falls. That's what he did. And then he was a sexton for the Episcopalian church uh, in Seneca Falls. Um, and then on my mother's side... My grandfather was, uh, he, now he, he was of the working class. After he fought in World War II, he was able to land kind of like a clerical job. So he got lucky. But he was always, you know, he was not edu- university educated and he was always of the working class. And his grandfather was a farmer. His father was a farmer. And the, my other great grandfather worked in the railroad. You know, so I mean, I think if we look back in our heritage, we can see this is where we come from. Um, and uh, there's something really um, great about the working classes because they're they're more in touch. They can be more in touch with reality than uh, the white white collar workers. Because you know, here's Jesus, and he's learning the trade of carpentry. They were builders. They built houses. You build a house, it falls apart. You know, you build a table, it falls apart. And it's obvious that it doesn't work. You know, so there's this kind of, they're in touch with reality. You actually have to build something that works. If you don't, you go out of business. And everybody knows that you're a farce. But, you know, you have people coming from um, the white-collar areas, and they can kind of fudge their way through life. They can kind of do a work they can do a form of work that is not super productive and sometimes is not really in touch with reality. Now, oftentimes they can, of course. All right, now I was a school teacher, so <laughs> bashing white-collar workers, I myself am one. Um, and I hope I was of real benefit to my students. But nonetheless, I could have been teaching my students nonsense. I could have been misleading them and not being productive, and no one would have known it. They would have, if I had to, You know, phrased my form of work and teaching with a lot of fancy language and a lot of ideology. People would say, oh, he's a smart guy. What a good teacher. I could have fooled everybody. And I would have been misleading my students and teaching, teaching them nonsense and filling their heads with garbage. So that's, that's the danger, you know, in the, in the white collar nobilities. It's like the greatest good in society and in human history has been done by scholars, highly educated people, but also the greatest evil in the world has been done by scholars, highly educated people. You know, I think of the ideology of Marxism. Marxism comes and, it, and on its face it says, we're all for the working classes and for the common people. But it's really driven by ideologues. And the outcome of Marxism 
communist Marxism uh, in the 20th century has been horrendous. Tens of millions at least, that's a conservative estimate, tens of millions of people have died <laughs> as a result of, of Marxist communism, of communist Marxism in the 20th century. Uh, so again, it's like the greatest evil can come forth from these guys who have their heads full of a lot of nonsense. We've all heard of the, the phrase, you know, he's an educated idiot. Uh, and it, there really is such a thing as an educated idiot. When I was in the going to the university, I mean, I know it. Uh, I was in, a, in the English department. They filled a lot of the guys and the girls' heads with a lot of stupid ideologies. And the people were in college for four years, and when they got out, they were dumber than when they came in. There's no doubt about it, they were dumber. Meaning they were less in touch with reality. They were less able to really be in contact with truth because their, their heads were full of falsehood and ideology. Uh, and from the working classes, there isn't, the, there isn't that potential, potential to create evil. The working classes have never been responsible for the great evils and the wars of the world. It's been the kings, it's been the scholars and the ideologues. So there is something beautiful and dig dignified about work because you're in touch with reality and the working classes produce a people that, at least in potential, can really be in touch with truth in a deeper, more uh, a wise and, and prudent manner. Um, I, I reflect also, too, as I think about myself as a, as a priest who ministers in Wayne County here, we're a working class county. You know, uh, you look at our, our former Pope, Pope Emeritus Benedict, and many people will think, well, he's this great kind of academic, he's a scholar, he's not in touch with the people, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's really not true about him. He came from Bavaria, which would have been like, you know, other parts of Germany would have looked down upon them in a snobbish way, like, oh, he's, he's, he's a, he's comes from the kind of superstitious Catholic area of Germany, you know, those people are really dumb, you know. That's the, that's his background. And he, you know, things that I've read from him, he, he says his, the main premise of his uh, ministry as bishop and then as pope was, I am here to defend the faith of the people. I'm not here to defend the faith of the theologians. I'm here to defend the faith of the people. And of course we have our current Holy Father, Pope Francis, very much in touch with the people. After he was elected to, to the papacy, First thing he did is he went to uh, St. Maria Maggiore, which is a famous church dedicated to Mary uh, in Rome. And he engaged in all these popular Marian devotions. That's the first thing he did. When he was, the, when he was back in Buenos Aires, he was criticized greatly by his fellow Jesuits because he would be involved in popular devotions. You know, some of, there were some currents of thought amongst the Jesuits who were like, oh, that's so... Passe and so silly and so dumb to be praying the rosary and to be, you know, devoted to Mary. I mean, that was some of the ideology amongst some of the Jesuits. And that wasn't Pope Francis's method. He knew that if you're not a priest for the people, you're not a priest. You're not doing your job. Uh, and the common working classes that have been given the gift of faith through the sacrament of baptism have just as much access to the faith as the very learned and the scholarly. Because it's a gift, because faith is a gift that comes to us from God. 
And my brothers and sisters, I always conceive of my job as to be a defender of the people's faith. I'm not here to, you know, change what has been passed down from century to century and to come up with my bright ideas and to make fun of popular devotions and dedications to certain saints and whatnot because I'm learned and scholarly and all that kind of highfalutin, arrogant, prideful nonsense. I'm here to share with you the same common faith, to promote it and to put it forward. So in any event, my brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful feast day, and I, I really think that this patron of ours, St. Joseph the Worker, is a great patron for us. Let's ask for his intercession that that kind of wisdom and that kind of faith uh, that God has given to the working class and to the working man uh, can be preserved and passed down.